0: All right, I want to ask you a question. We're on a 40-day fast. How many of you know that? And we're not fasting from food, so if you're visiting with us, you know, you're not sitting next to so if somebody's stomach starts growling, it hasn't got anything to do with us, okay? We're we're on a 40-day fast from religion. And what we're doing is is we're we're examining everything we think, everything that we've learned anything that smells or smacks of religion and, and we've basically we've, we've defined religion as a system which which seeks to replace Jesus Christ. Jesus did what was necessary but religion tells us we have to do certain things and in reality Jesus has done those things for us and we are recipients of his gifts and so we're, we're, we are trying to strip away the, the poison of religion that, that's gotten Embedded in us, and it's a tough process. And and we're about day twenty-two. Okay, we we've crested the mountain. We're starting down. It ought to be getting really tough if you're doing this. Now, some of you, you know, you may be about ready to give up. Don't give up, okay. And some of you may have been doing this kind of half-heartedly. Dig in, because it will it will pay big dividends. Okay, it's an investment. That really will pay off. And listen to me change in our lives comes with a cost. Nothing changes unless there's a cost. If we just do the same thing over and over and over and expect things to be different, you know what that's the definition of? Insanity. Insanity. But if we change our behavior, if we change the way we think first, our behavior will change. Our attitudes will change. And so we're, we're on a 40-day fast from religion and we're in a series called Crisis, Religion or Relationship. And this is about the sixth sermon in this series or our lesson. I don't know which. But uh, this morning we, we want to talk about the tools of relationship. And I just want to talk about we'll get to a few of these. But all of us have grown up if you've grown up in church, you've grown up in churches that said, do this, do this, do this, do this. Amen? All of us have. And, and some of those things are good things, all right? But a lot of those good things have been given to us as rules without any idea of relationship. And rules without relationship always leads to rebellion. I'm going to say that again. Rules without relationship always results in rebellion. And religion is the wolf of rebellion dressed in sheep's clothing. Okay? Religion dresses up and does its best to look like relationship, but it always leads to rebellion. Religion is, is humanity's veiled attempt to reach God on a totally different path than what God requires or what God asks for. Religion is filled with endless rules. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Do this, do this, don't do that. And there's no explanation given most of the time except I said so or the Bible says so. Now, when I hear that answer, there's something that happens in me. Maybe it doesn't happen in you, but it wells up in me. My father used to say, because I said so. It welled up in me, but I was very careful to keep it welled inside rather than on the outside. But whenever I hear somebody say, well, the Bible says so, there's a, there's a question that just kind of wells up and, and, and desires an answer and yearns for an answer. And that question is, why? Why? All of us are wired with a why response. Now, you yours may be beat down so far that you don't really realize it's there anymore, but all of us have a a why response. But most people are unwilling to ask that question. They're, they're, they're unwilling to voice that question. Most pen people tend to go alone to get along. Go with the flow. It's easier. When you're going with the flow, you rarely get hit. When you go against the flow, you get hit all the time. And so what we've learned to do is we've learned to ride the wave. The only problem is very often the wave's carrying us in the wrong direction. And that's why religion is so successful. Religion suppresses the answer to the why question. Religion knows that if if you ask that question and you find the answer, religion won't have a power over you anymore because it realizes that, that, that by not giving the answer to that why question it can control us. And very often, religion will control a person through fear of punishment. Ever been afraid God was going to get you? Listen to me. I can't tell you how many believers who have been Christians for years and years and years believe that God actually sits on His throne with His finger drawn, with lightning bolts. Now, I'm being... A bit facetious, but it's the same idea. And that if they mess up, he's going to fry them. I've heard this. Well, I guess I'm, I'm getting what I deserve. Well, this is payback for, for that choice I made. That's not God, okay? But that's what religion tries. It tries to, to control us through the fear of punishment or a sense of rejection of self-rejection, really, because we, we just are not good enough to be loved. I can't tell you how many people I've heard, so you know God couldn't love me. God couldn't love me. Look what I've done. And, and I'm just not lovable. You know, God loves you. God loves you. Or there's a shame that comes from being consistently imperfect, and therefore you feel like a failure. How many of you are imperfect? That's pretty much all of us. That's why the perfect one came to die for us. Because we couldn't be perfect. And so there's no reason for us to live in shame. There's no reason for us to live in in guilt. And there's no reason for us to, to be rejected. The enemy doesn't want us to experience a genuine relationship with God. You know why? Because he knows once you taste that he has no power over you. And when he loses his power over you and you taste real genuine relationship, he knows this. You're going to get out from under his control. And not only are you going to leave, you're going to take others with you. Because all of us know people like ourselves. Amen? All of us have influence over a certain amount of people. And and the enemy knows that that once we find out what relationship is like, that we're out of there. We're no longer going to put up with that stuff anymore. See, religion seeks to control the human spirit, to push it down, to conform it into uniformity. There's a difference between unity and uniformity, okay? Uniformity means for all of us to be alike, And God didn't create all of us alike. I'm looking at you, and none of y'all look like me. And some of y'all are silently thinking, praise God, that's true. (laughs) It's okay. We are all unique. Every one of us, we're all different. God made us different. He created us to be different. He created you so that your individuality could glorify Him. Think about that. Now that doesn't give you excuses to be you know mean and ugly but you can be different you can be different we're not all alike and God never intended for us to be the case religion makes wants to make us all cookie cutters depending on which Variety of religion or brand of religion you're in. This group wants you to be this way and this group wants you to be this way. You know what? Jesus is this way so that we could become like him. Okay? We were never created to conform to the controlled image of religion. But rather we were created to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And you know what? Most of what religion has foisted on us doesn't even look like Jesus. When you really read the Gospels, when you you open the pages of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, you find that Jesus looks totally different than what religion portrays him to be. And you know what? Not only does it it not look, he not look like the Jesus we've been taught about, but he didn't act like the Jesus. I, I just, I'm, I'm just thinking, who did Jesus hang out with? The heathens. <laughs> there you go, that, that's a good word. And you know what I was taught all my life? Stay away from the heathens. Okay? The first miracle Jesus did, you know what it was? Turn water to wine, he went to a party to a wedding, and we think, oh, he went to a wedding that's different. A wedding was a week long party. They drank the best wine first, and then when everybody was a little bit numbed out, they brought the word the rest of it out okay it was a party and and I could just go on he hung out with with prostitutes and he hung out with tax collectors and and terrorists and and and, and people, fishermen. I didn't hear that one, but and hunters and everything else. And housewives. He hung out with those people. <laughs> that and the liars, exactly. Oh. And and, and he, he he hung out with them. That's the people he was around. And those are the people we're told to stay away from. If we stay away from those people, we'll be by ourselves. We'll just be one liar by himself, or one thief by himself, or or one whatever by himself. See, religion has has painted a picture of Jesus that's not Jesus. Okay? It's not Jesus. We've been sold a, a bill of goods. And most Christians are living in a state of confusion and resentment and rebellion because they are trying to keep a set of rules rather than ex- exploring the essence of a relationship with Jesus instead of just asking why. Growing, when my daughter was growing up, I told her, I said, if you don't understand why I want you to do something, ask me why and I'll explain it to you. Now, every once in a while, there's just going to be some instances when I say do it. You just need to do it. and We'll talk about it later. And, and you'll understand by the tone of my voice. We need to understand why. And that's one of the things that, that as, as I begin to pursue Christ in my own personal relationship, he answered those questions for me. They were right here in the book. It wasn't because I say so, it's because of this and this and this. Let me be real clear at this moment because I don't want you to, to misunderstand me. God has given us some rules to live by. Okay, there are some rules. Genuine relationship, real relationship has rules. Every relationship has certain rules. It has boundaries built into it. It's not freedom to do whatever you want at the expense of the other person. Now those rules that, that God's given us are found in Scripture. Okay, they're there. But those rules don't make us holy. I want you to hear what I'm saying. The rules don't make us holy. The rules don't make us sinless. The rules don't make us more lovable to God or more acceptable to God. The rules keep us from destroying ourselves and destroying other people. The rules are to protect us from ourselves and from others. The rules define what sin is. We don't know what sin is unless we have a rule. Amen? Amen? I mean, that's what the Old Testament teaches. That's why God gave the law, so that people would understand what sin is. That's what, why Scripture calls the law a tutor, a teacher. It taught the people what sin was. The rules are to protect us and to protect others. And a society without rules is chaos. It's confusion. It's confusion. And God is not the God of confusion. He's the the God of relationship. And the reason we follow the, the rules that are found in this book is to demonstrate that we love God. Not to gain God's love, but to demonstrate that we love God. Jesus summed up all the rules into two. And they're just real simple, okay? I mean, he summed up... All of, of I've been, I've, I'm reading the Bible through, and every year I do that. And the first couple of months of the year, I'm in Genesis, which I love. Exodus, which I, I, I like a lot. Leviticus, which really pushes me. Numbers, which is kind of, a, it depends on what part you're in. And then Deuteronomy, is, is, it's, it's like, it, it just, it's the same thing over again. And by the way, Deuteronomy is a sermon that Moses gave to rehash Everything that God had taught them. But but I get I get I, I read those, I think, good gracious at all these things. Well, God gave those so that they would know what sin was. And Jesus summed up all those rules. He summed them up into two. And and if you think about this, I mean this this is the if the Ten Commandments are too tough for you. Here's two that sum up the Ten Commandments. It's found in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 through 40. It's found in some other places in the gospel, but Jesus said this. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That sounds like what? Relationship. That's the greatest and the foremost commandment. You want to know what what you need to do? Love God. Then he said there's another one that's very similar. The second one is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, on these two rules, depend the whole of the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets were, were the Old Testament scriptures. This is, this is the basis. If we just get these, if we boil it down, I, I'm kind of like this. Just don't tell me how to build the clock. Just, just tell me what time it is. Okay, I, I, I get lost in details. If if you send me an email and it's over two or three sentences long, I get lost in it. Okay, I just do. I'm just, just the way I am. I just want to know the basics. Jesus gives us the basics: love God and love everybody else like you love yourself. Jesus answers the why question. His life answers the why question. His death on the cross answers the why question. Jesus came to restore the relationship I'm talking about so that the rules would make sense. You remember what I said in the beginning? Rules without relationship lead to rebellion. The children of Israel, over time, lost their relationship. They no longer sought to have a relationship with a living God, the God who had come to them and appeared to them on the mountain, the God who had spoken, the God whom they had seen his miracles in 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 Egypt and in the desert. Over time, that relationship turned into religion. It turned into a set of rules that they kept. And rules without relationship leads to rebellion. And if you just read the Old Testament with a cursory eye, you see rebellion page after page after page. I can't wait till I get to 1st and 2nd Kings. Okay? Because, and so and so was a bad king, and so and so was a bad king, and he was wickeder than his father, and so and so was a good king. The good kings loved God, and they loved their people. The bad kings loved themselves. And so, Jesus came To fulfill the rules. He didn't come to give us another set of rules. I love what what Jesus said. He says, do not think I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I didn't come to abolish, but to fulfill. That's Matthew chapter 5. That word fulfill there means to bring it to its intended meaning. To give it meaning. To flesh it out. In other words, to present the definitive interpretation of the law. Jesus is the definitive interpretation of the whole of the Old Testament. You want to know what the Old Testament means? Look at Jesus. That's what he's saying. Look at me. I I love and I didn't write this passage down, but but I love that passage where, where Jesus talks about, he's talking to the Pharisees and he tells them, he says, you think the scriptures are God. Now this is my own interpretation, but it's exactly what it means. He said, you think the scriptures are God. And that's what you're worshiping. It's the words and, and, the, and the jots and the tittles on the, on the page. And God is standing before him, before you and you don't even recognize him. Folks, listen. A lot of churches... Make this the third person of the Trinity. Okay? This is the literal word of God. Okay? I treasure this. This is how we we discover who God is. I believe that it's inerrant. I believe that it's inspired that God breathed it. I believe that every word of it's true. All right? But this is not God. And this can never take the place of a relationship with God. This is a tool of relationship. We'll talk about that in just a few minutes. But what happens is we begin to worship what we can't see, instead of what the words, the person, this book describes. Jesus came to live the law out in living color. In my and when when I was a a young person, it would have been in Technicolor. Okay, well, it's not Technicolor anymore. It's high def. All right. It may be something else. But Jesus was the word of God in high depth. He was the law in high def, so that there was, it answered your why. When somebody walked up to Jesus and interacted with Jesus, they left, if they were listening, with the answer to their why questions. They saw, they experienced the love of God. Not the judgment of God. Not the anger of God, but the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God. And if they didn't listen, and they refused to accept it, they understood judgment. They just didn't know it, because they acted that out. Jesus did not keep the rules. He didn't keep the law to gain God's love and favor. He kept them to demonstrate the depth of his love for God. I want to say that again. He, He didn't keep the law to gain God's love. He kept the law to demonstrate the depth of his love for God. He kept them because they demonstrated the depth of his relationship with God. He kept them because his greatest desire was to do the will of God. And in doing the will of God, he fulfilled the purpose that God had for his life. And folks, when we obey God, it just demonstrates that we love God. It doesn't make God love us anymore. It doesn't make us any better than anyone else. It just demonstrates that we love God. And Jesus lived the law out and his his is living the law out, confirmed his relationship with God. That's what, that's what obedience does. It confirms that we have a relationship with God. It just confirms what we say. Our willingness to obey God confirms our relationship with God. Now I want to look just for a few minutes this morning at a couple of tools. When, when I talk about tools of relationship, I'm talking about reading your Bible. Okay, I'm talking about praying. I'm talking about uh, witnessing. I'm talking about giving. I'm talking about serving. I'm talking about fasting. And if, if you're really, you know, into the tools there, there, there's some more. There, there's spending quiet time with God. silence. There's, there's devotional aspects. That's what I'm talking about. But what has happened is the devil has taken those tools and he's made them measuring sticks in the church that if you do these things you're somehow better or holier or more lovable and and i just want to i just want to do away with that this morning and and, and 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 just get you to understand and help you to understand that's not why god gave them when when i was a well let me let me back up most christians feel guilty when it comes to these tools because they just don't do it enough Amen? I don't read my Bible enough. I don't pray enough. I don't serve enough. I don't witness enough. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't. And every time we don't, our head drops. Instead of being in relationship, we become mired in religion. And God didn't give us these tools to be tape measures to gauge holiness. When I was a younger believer, I was told over and over and over, whenever I had a problem or I had a question, if I would just read my Bible more and pray more, I'd find the answer. Any of y'all ever heard that? You know why that answer was given? And I mean this with love because I, I'm thinking of some godly people that gave me these answers. They didn't know the answer either. Okay? and But instead of just saying, you know what, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know how to help you, but I know somebody who can. They They sent me to the Word of God. And the Word of God is a great place to find answers. And prayer is a good way to seek answers to questions. But what happens is I heard... Instead of Bible and prayer, I heard the word more. If I will just read more, if I will just pray more. In other words, if I read my Bible more, pray more, I'll be a better Christian and God will love me more. Now, I'm not sure that's what was intended by some. And by others, that was what was intended, okay? If I will just do more. That's religion, not relationship. Folks, the litmus test of religion is when you replace what Jesus has done with what you can do. If you can do it, it's religion. If Jesus is the only one who can do it, then that's a relational area. So what about reading the Bible? What about it? God has given us the Word, His Word, to reveal His heart. Okay? Without the Word of God, yes, according to Scripture, we can know there is a God by just looking out here. Okay? Just by looking at our hands. Okay? By observing, we can know there is a God. We just can't know Him. We can't know very much about Him. So, He's given us His Word to reveal Himself to us, to show us His heart. It shows us what pleases Him, it shows us what displeases Him. It's a tool for discovery, not for measuring. Okay? It's a tool for discovery, not for measurement. It's not a tape measure, it's a pick and a shovel. God is a diamond mine, okay? And this book is a diamond mine. It's his love letter to us, and the only way we discover the depth of who he is is to dig into this book. We don't measure ourselves by this book. We learn who God is by this book. It's a tool. It's a tool. The deeper we dig in God's Word, the more we read, the more we discover about God. I, it th- this is now, I, 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 please hear my heart here. When I when I read Scripture every year, like I said, I I read the Bible through. I've just made it a discipline, and 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 it's 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 I love it. Okay, I no longer guilt it out anymore if I miss one night. All right. I'm living in freedom now. I'm to the place where I want to do this. But it amazes me that I can read a verse that I have read thousands of times and see something that I never saw before. I'm talking about go back to it and go, I must be in a different translation or something. No, it's always been there. I just didn't get it. It never clicked. I don't know if you're like that. Maybe I'm the only one like that. It's a, it's a diamond mind. Folks, the the deeper we dig, the more we read, the more we discover about God, the deeper that relationship becomes. It's a love letter. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. Here's what it is. It's revelation. It's God speaking to us, revealing His heart and His mind, showing us the depths of who He is. Revelation is unveiling. It's peeling the covers back. To let us see something. It's disclosing something. God has revealed himself to us through the book. Through the Bible. This is not a book to be used as a stick. Okay? It wasn't made for you to beat yourself up with. And it certainly, listen to me, was not made to beat others up with. Okay? Here's the reality about sin and wickedness. When people are engaged in sin and wickedness, they know it. Scripture says God has placed something in us, a conscience. Now, there can beca- get to a place where that conscience is seared that it no longer cares, but it knows what it's doing. So, we don't have to beat people to death with this book. Why would I take the love letter God sent me and use it as a stick on other people? It's, it's bread, it's life, it's water. It's whatever they need. But folks, too often we use it to beat one another up. Different denominations beat on each other and they all refer back to the book. Okay? They're really not referring back to the book, they're referring back to their own private interpretation of the book. Okay? Scripture's real clear. There's, there's one interpretation. It's God's. It's our job, at, through relationship, to figure out what that is. So this is a treasure map that if we'll follow, it will lead us into infinite riches of relationship with God. I love what King David says. King David loved God's Word. Uh, he wrote a chapter in Scripture, Psalms 119. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. I mean, it's long, okay? And he basically, he talks about the Word of God, the law of God. And over, he says things like this in Psalm 119, Verse 116, he says, sustain me according to your word that I may live. Don't let me be ashamed. In other words, don't put to shame for my hope. In other words, Lord, here's I just simplify it. Feed me from your word so that I can live. Lord, you feed me. I want to live. In Psalms 119.41, he says this, may your loving kindness also come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your word. Psalm 119, through 45. So I will keep your law continually forever and ever, and I will walk at liberty. That word liberty there means in a wide place. In other words, I'm not walking some narrow path. I'm walking in a wide place when I'm in the middle of your word. I can't fall, for I seek your precepts. Folks, the Bible should bring liberation and freedom, not shame and bondage. Okay? Now God's word if 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 a person is in sin creates guilt. Okay? But when I respond to the, the the that sense of guilt and repent, there shouldn't be any shame anymore. There shouldn't be any bondage anymore. Okay? So so the word of God is a tool. It's not the taskmaster. It's a tool to help us understand who God is. It's a love letter to build our relationship and to deepen our relationship. What about prayer? I don't I I would imagine there's not a person in this room that hadn't been told they needed to pray more. How much more? That's the I'm sorry. I asked that. That's just okay. Don't give me something that's just open-ended. Give me a definitive answer. Because I think like that. Why should I pray more? Why should we even pray? Does prayer make us holy? Does it make us righteous or special in God's eyes? Religion says this, the better you, the longer you do it, the better you get. And the less you do it, well, that just demonstrates how dirty, stinking, rotten you really are. I mean, that's what religion tells you. Am I, I'm, I'm not telling you all a lie, am I? I mean, you've, you've heard this. Folks, that's religion speaking, not God. We pray because prayer is a conversation with God. When we pray, we are talking to God. You can't have relationship if there's no conversation. You can't have a relationship with God, you can't have a relationship with another person. If all you do is talk, and that's what some people's prayer life is like, and you don't ever listen. You don't have a relationship with God, okay? Because conversation is a two-way dialogue. It's, it's you talk and God talks. Or as a pastor I once had served with and served under said, you have one mouth, two ears. Figure it out. There are times when you just need to be quiet. Or as my dad would say, shut up. Just shut up and listen. It's conversation. It's a dialogue. It's an intimate conversation. If you want to get right down to it, it's an intimate conversation between two people that love each other. It's not a valid measurement of how holy you are. You remember the the guy, Jesus tells a story of a a Pharisee who stood on the corner and prayed. Y'all remember that story? He had on gorgeous robes. He had the tassels. He had his prayer shawl on. I mean, he was looking really good. And he had a—I just, in my imagination, he had a deep baritone voice, and it just boomed. And he just prayed and prayed and prayed. If you'll read Scripture really closely, this is what it says. And he prayed to himself because God was not listening. Okay? And that's the way a lot of prayer is. We pray a lot, but we're praying to ourselves because we're not listening to God. Folks, the only holiness that we gain has been given to us through Jesus Christ. It's not how long or loud we pray, how long or, or how many hours we spend reading the word. It's not how many people that we witness to or how many people that we've served. That doesn't make us holy. Jesus made us holy. He gave us that gift. He gave us righteousness. God accepts the righteousness of Jesus, not ours. If he accepted ours, Jesus would not have had to die on a cross. So stop worrying about the religious idea that you can somehow be righteous based on doing good things and not doing bad things. Now, having said that, because you love God and you want to demonstrate your love to God in a a viable way, you do good things. You don't do bad things. Because why? I know what God likes, and I know what displeases Him. If I just did things that displeased Kathy day in and day out, she'd leave or run me off, okay? I mean, that's just reality. If your spouse just did things, just did the things that irritate you all the time, at some point you would leave. We do things because we love God. And we don't do things They're wrong because we know it displeases Him. Prayer demonstrates our utter dependence on God. You know, when you say, God, I I, I need this. Or God, please heal this. Or God, I, I need a job. It's just voicing what's reality, but it's also voicing your dependence. God, I can't do this on my own. I can't fix this. I don't know the answer to this. This is too overwhelming for me. I need your help here. You can try. You can try to fix it yourself, but you will never experience the blessing God has for you. Prayer is the daily conversation between two people who are doing life together. It's the conversation between two people who are walking together through life. Prayer is is your opportunity to to share your heart with God and to experience His heart for you. It's a relational tool. I love love to look at Jesus and and to learn from Jesus. Jesus is is a good teacher. In fact, He's the best teacher. Jesus used prayer continually. You read this all through the New Testament. Particular one came out of Luke chapter 6, verse 12. It says, It was about this time that he went off the mountain to pray. And he spent the whole night in prayer to God. He spent the whole night talking to God. Whenever Jesus had decisions to make, big decisions, he got away from everybody. But not just the big decisions. I love what Scripture says. Whatever I hear the Father saying, whatever I see the Father doing, that's what I do. In other words, I'm paying attention to God. I'm listening to Him all the time. Over and over you find Jesus slipping away to talk with the Father. On the night before He's arrested, He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. and He goes there to pray. And it was obviously a place that He used quite often when he was in, in Jerusalem, when he came for the festivals. And it says in Mark chapter 14, verse 35 through 36, and he went a little beyond them. He, went a little, he took his disciples with him. Then he took the three that were closest with him, a little farther, and then he left them and went to a place by himself. There's a picture there for us, okay? Most of the prayer that you and I need to pray is not in a group by ourselves. It's by ourselves. We have to get along with God to talk with God so that we can hear Him instead of everything else. And so Jesus he leaves, he leaves part of His disciples here. He takes Peter, James, and John to here. He leaves them there. And then He goes to a place by Himself. And it says this, He went a little beyond them and He fell to the ground and began to pray that if it were possible the hour might pass by and he was saying, Abba, Father, Daddy. That, that's what he's saying. That's the Hebrew essence of Abba. It's Daddy. All things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. God, here's my need. And this is what I would like to, to happen. But if this is not what you want, I'm willing to do what you want. That's what he prayed, folks. And it was through prayer, it was through a conversation with God that Jesus received the direction that he needed. That he received the strength that he needed. That that what he was about to go through, he got clarity of thought. And he also received the ability to persevere. If Jesus needed it, how much more do we need this tool? Now I could go on and on and on. I could go on about service. When we serve others... We are serving Jesus. We are his hands and his feet. When when we share the gospel, we're sharing the love story, okay, that we have with Jesus. We're not just sharing cold, hard facts. If your evangelism is not working, it may be because all you're sharing is facts. You need to share the Lord, not facts about the Lord. It needs to be the love story that you have with him. Scripture is important. It brings life. But if there's no life in you, you're not going to get a lot of life out of here to share with somebody else. Giving. We don't give sacrificially. We give out of our abundance. We give because God has blessed us. And folks, when we give back to God, He blesses us even more. I mean, it's one of the few places in Scripture where He says, Try me, test me. If you're doing, I mean, if if you're going without and you're, you're in lack, try giving to God and see if God won't bless you back. He will return it. All of these things, folks, are tools, they're not tape measures. The people who give the most in a church are not always the nicest people. The people who share the gospel the most are often not the nicest people. Okay, I know some that have no tact whatsoever. Okay, and I'm, I'm not being you know the the people that spend all day reading the Bible are some of the meanest people I ever know I've ever met. I've heard all kinds of things. The, the people who claim to be the fullest of the Holy Spirit, bite your head off. Okay? I I'm just saying they've 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 swallowed religion rather than relationship. Because relationship changes everything. And folks, these are tools. They're, each of these has its place in unlocking another aspect of God's goodness or God's grace or God's love or mercy. Not one of these things make us more acceptable to God. But obedience in these things seem to make God more accessible to us. Think about that for a minute. Just because we do them doesn't make God more accessible. It doesn't make us more acceptable to Him. What it does is it makes God more accessible to us. It's, it's doors of grace is what it is. It's just another way to interact with Him. When you use the tools of relationship properly, God draws near. I mean, I'm going to tell you something. When you get on your hands and knees or on your face and you cry out to God, God draws near. When all of a sudden you're, you're, you're in the Word and you begin to see things and it begins to, to work in your heart, God draws near. When you, when you, when you give because uh, you love God, God draws near. When you're you're witnessing because you don't want that person to die and go to hell, and you love God so much and you want them to love God, God draws near. Okay? When we use the tools in a relational way, God relates. He moves in. So what about you this morning? Where are you at? Are you using these tools to enhance your relationship with God, or are you making them your checklist for the day and you're marking them off? Read my Bible. I've prayed. I've witnessed to that one person I asked God to bring into my path today. I give every Sunday. There's a difference. Perhaps, maybe you're in that place where you stopped doing some of these things because the harder you tried to do them, the farther you fell behind. Maybe you were doing them with the wrong motive. Remember a few weeks ago I said motive is really important. If we do things to get things, We typically get nothing. But if we do things because we love God, we receive everything. Listen to me this morning. Stop measuring yourself if you're in that place. Stop measuring yourself by what you do. Start using the tools that God's given us to unlock the treasure of a relationship with God. God has given us some tools for relationships. They answer the why question. God, why do I do this? Well, son, let me show you. Well, God, why do you do that? Well, son, let me show you. Daughter, let me, let me take you on a walk, on a journey, and you'll understand this. We need a relationship with God. We don't need any more religion. We're up to here with religion. Most of us are drowning in it. We need relationships. Folks, relationship is what attracts other people who don't know Jesus. They want what you've got. They don't want your religion. They don't want my religion. That's what repels people. They want Jesus. And when you have a relationship with Jesus, you act like Jesus. You smell like Jesus. You look like Jesus. Your words sound like Jesus. Your actions, you know, are what they would imagine Jesus would do. See, when two people live together in close proximity, they start to act like each other. Do you realize that? When Moses went up on the mountain with God and spent 40 days there, he was shining like a Christmas tree when he came down. Why? Because he had been in the glorious presence of God these disciples, as rough as they were, they learned who Jesus was. And they began to act like Jesus acted. And when he sent his Holy Spirit and put himself in them, Scripture says that they turned the world upside down. Why? Because people knew they had been with Jesus. That's what relationship does. That's why relationship is so important. It changes who we are and makes us more like Him. Let's pray. Father, this morning. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.